Well, you hear the music. It's time for Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. I'm Jay Binkley, along with Pete Sweeney, Editor-in-Chief, ArrowheadPride.com. Nick Price, producing. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Jay Binkley. Happy Sunday Night Football Week. Happy Raider Week. Maybe Sunday Night Football Week. We'll get to that. There's a lot of things that can happen. The Raiders have uh, not handled COVID well. They've been fined. They've been uh, taking a draft pick away. Bunch of jokers. And now they've got a bunch of contactless tracing with guys, meaning you won't practice this week. They put six more guys on. A couple key players have tested positive, including Cleveland Farrell, that had nine pressures against the Chiefs. His previous high was three. Nine pressures against the Chiefs. Jonathan Abram, just the name, is on the close contact list. LaMarcus Joyner is on the close contact list. That's their top nickel corner. Yeah. And Corey Littleton is their starting linebacker, and he is, he is actually on the COVID list. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens with the Raiders. And Sunday Night Football, they, they they want to be guaranteed a game, but I guess they don't you know, they don't want to get rid of the Chiefs. You know, they don't, they don't right. at all cost. They want Patrick Mahomes and the Red Hot Raiders playing on Sunday Night Football. But the NFL wants a game on Sunday night. These are one of these things that can maybe be moved to the 325 window. Things don't pan out. You push this bad boy to Monday night. Yeah, you never know in this year's NFL. I think we've seen that with the Chiefs, right? The first three of six games ended up being Monday night football games. There was a Monday late afternoon game in there. And so now you're having all these problems with the Las Vegas Raiders. I would note that it seemed like at the beginning of the season, the NFL was a little bit more willing to push games than it seems like they are now. At some point, it seemed like... In New York, in the offices, they said if the team ends up having players on the COVID list, they end up having players on the COVID list. We saw that with, I believe it was the San Francisco 49ers on one of the Thursday night football games. So, again, remains to be seen. I tend to think that if they can possibly play this game, even if some guys have to miss on Sunday night, they will. It is a little bit interesting because of Sunday night football because you don't want to be in a situation where you wake up Sunday morning and then all of a sudden things have to switch and you need a game for that slot. So let's stay tuned and, and let's see how this thing goes. A lot of stuff going on with the Kansas City Chiefs, including DeAndre Baker, former first-round pick last year with the Giants, uh, being brought out, worked out with the Chiefs today. Nothing's been official or made official on that, even though the Chiefs commented on that. And, of course, Busgate. There's a lot of things between this big game with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Raiders. Chiefs have won 17 in the last 18. The one blemished the Raiders. The Raiders sit just if the Raiders win this game, they're one game behind the Chiefs in the standing, and they have the tiebreaker. Andy Reid spoke today. Pete, you listened to it. As far as the injuries are concerned, here's Andy Reid's open. Um, so as far as injuries go in practice today, uh, Bo Keys, um, he will not practice. He's sick. Um it looks like stomach virus. So um, Taco won't practice with the ankle, and then Mitch uh, Schwartz won't practice with the back. Alex Okafor will be back um, at practice. So listen, we look forward to the challenge of playing uh, the race. So that's the injury report there. Legereus Sneed, we're expecting him to come off the injury yeah. reserve with the clavicle. Taco Charlton, I'm surprised not on the IR, but you know how these things work. Someone comes off of it's, it, they put them on it. Yeah, right now you have Legereus Sneed, as you mentioned, and Alex Okafor practicing, yet they aren't technically on the active yeah. roster. So 
I would imagine when these guys get activated, whether that's Saturday or before, that's when you'll see Taco Charlton go to injured reserve. He has put it on Twitter that he's getting the taco truck fixed. That translates to surgery, so I imagine he'll be missing at least three weeks. Maybe you see him early on in the playoffs, you hope. But I think that'll be the move, and then you'll see what the other 53-man roster move is if Alex Okafor is ready. The only guys that were limited practice today – we had um, did not practice with Bo Pete Keys and Taco Charlton. Like we said, Charlton's going to probably go to the IR. Mike Rimmers was limited in participation. And let me tell you, with this offensive line and the way things are going with it, with Mitch Schwartz, uh, going, well, it maybe comes back this week if he would have, but he's on that close contact list. Eric Fisher's on that list. And Martinez Rankin, a big-time backup, is on that list as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Chiefs as far as the injuries are concerned. But the big news yesterday, Pete, um, DeAndre Baker. This is a guy that I really liked coming out of Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. He was the Thorpe Award winner back in 2018. Is the best defensive back in the country. At the Combine, ran like a 4-5. His thing is high coverage, high press. We'll talk to Craig Stout, as we always do in sure. Airhead Pride Radio at 6.30, for a full breakdown on DeAndre Baker, including the breakdown they had in the uh, KC Draft Guide from arrowheadpride.com. But I liked him because he's a, he was a very physical corner. He had seven picks and three forced fumbles while he was at Georgia. And he's good in man and off-man coverage. The problem is he gets beat over the top sometimes. Right. And with the Giants, got called out by their head coach at the point, Pat Shermer. A couple other Giants players said he he wasn't playing like he did at Georgia. Right. He was almost playing you know loose, soft, on the field, he wasn't the same guy that he was at Georgia. He was not the same guy that was picked in the first round. Keep in mind, they gave up pick 37. They gave up a fifth, fourth-round pick and a fifth-round pick Did the Giants to the Seahawks for DeAndre Baker. Then, when these 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 charges that were dropped were put on in Florida, Giants right. walked away from the guy. Yeah, and I think it was notable that when they were dropped due to extortion, the Giants were not interested. They were asked this week, and they said, we're not going to... Uh, reunite. We're going to move on. Not to say that the Giants have a great camp going on right now. Apparently, there was a huge argument this morning where an offensive line coach had to be dismissed. They are not necessarily the model franchise, so not necessarily looking for the Chiefs fight to be with the more... head coach is what they said. Whether <laughs> it was a fight or not, we don't know, but right. uh, it but wasn't good. Bottom line, in Kansas City, DeAndre Baker supposedly, reportedly would be visiting with the Chiefs today. Then it was further revealed that he would be added to the practice squad, and he has sort of the fast track just to get him familiar with the system and get him ready to join the 53-man roster. And it seemed like from NFL Network's Mike Garofolo's report that Baker would be within the mix, it seems like, in, in a couple weeks. And it is classic Brett Veach because this is the definition of a low-risk, high-reward move where you're getting a first-round talent and you're getting him in with the coaching staff. We've seen other moves like this with Cam Irving, Reggie Ragland, I think, to an extent when a talent, and this isn't the same exact situation, but when a talent like a Sammy Watkins or an Anthony Hitchens becomes available and Brett Veach is super high on these guys, he'll go after them. And I think it has to do with trust in the coaching staff. Just like on the offensive side of the football, when you're bringing a guy like Le'Veon Bell or LaShawn McCoy, there's the ultimate trust that Andy Reid is going to get the most out of these guys. It doesn't always work out exactly as you hope, but sometimes it does. And I think the Chiefs have just as much confidence in a guy like defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo. We called Sam Madison, the defensive backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, the midseason assistant coach of the year because of what he's done with this secondary. I tend to think you bring this guy in with the you leadership. you give Dave Merritt the same thing. Of course. 
where you bring this guy in with the leadership of Tyron Matthew and Steve Spagnolo and some of these guys in the secondary, the Chiefs are playing really well at that position. Let's see what he can do with this Chiefs coaching staff. And again, there's no risk to it. If there are character concerns, if he's still too immature, like we heard from Matt Miller on the drive earlier today, then you move on and it costs you nothing. And so I love the move. It's a classic Brett Feach move. We'll see how it works out. He's on the practice squad at this point, going to be elevated. So this is one you can walk away. But if not, this was the Frank Clark deal because he was, he was mocked to the Chiefs in quite a bit of mock drafts. They make the deal for Frank Clark. This was a guy that might because the Chiefs were in the market for a corner. This was this was a it's guy, like Groundhog Day with the corner well, every well, single is, year. It feels like well, this they is, are. it would have been funny had Seattle got him because they were the ones that right. got all those picks from the Giants. But the bottom line is it's, it's still a first round talent from a year ago, and you put him in that secondary as the only first round talent uh, back there. It'll be interesting to see what the Honey Badger uh, can do with him. Also this week, Pete. We had Busgate. Oh, yeah. Busgate that happened, and uh, some people are saying it's no big deal. The uh, J- the Raiders are talking about it. I listened to all their <laughs> press conferences. They did mention it. Uh, Andy Reid mentioned it a couple times in his press conference the other day as far as uh, they do not do that. I heard Travis Kelsey, Max Crosby, and the likes talk about the, well, to talk about Busgate, so to speak, with the Kansas City Chiefs. And basically... Andy Reid was asked about it a couple times yesterday, and this is what he said. Well, they, they listen. They won the game, so they, they can do anything they they want to do. Uh, uh, they end up winning the game. That's not our style, but we'll we'll get ourselves back, ready to play, and that's where we're at. So that was Andy Reid on Busgate. John Gruden was asked about it as well. Hey, John. Uh, today, Andy Reid mentioned a couple times the uh, victory lap you guys took in KC after the first game. What exactly was the victory lap, and uh, is that something that uh, you think about this week as far as bulletin board material or anything like that? Not really. I mean, you could find a smart Alec bus driver in Kansas City who made some snide comments when we got on the bus. Maybe that's why we drove around the stadiums to tick him off. You know, this is ridiculous. Next question. Now, I did think this was an explanation. Max Crosby, the star defensive player, had said this yesterday um, about Busgate when he was on with uh, Colin Coward. You won't get in trouble. What happened? Can you tell me the story? I honestly, it's, it's funny. Um, after the game, you know, we were all so fired up. You know, obviously winning in KC is very rare. And especially with that team, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal anytime you beat them. So on the bus, you know, I noticed when we took off, we were like, I didn't even, nobody said anything like, yeah, we're taking a victory lap, blah, blah, blah. I just noticed we were driving around the stadium because we were just going in a big circle. <laughs> so honestly, a lot of the guys, we had no idea. So we were just, we were just noticing. We're like, wait, like, where are we going? <laughs> and just... That leads credence to John Gruden was just pissed at the bus driver and the rest of the team. He wasn't like, Hey, we're going on a victory lap. It sounds like this was a thing where the smart dog bus driver in Gruden, because Max Crosby didn't even know why yeah. they were going around the stadium. It it looked to me like it was maybe this weird Gruden thing. I, I think he was probably very excited about it, and it might have been in jest, and it was certainly something that he didn't think would make the rounds. And it got out in Kansas City because Kansas City still is, has this small-town feel. Everyone talks to each other. There were rumblings, and it came out from a colleague of mine, and, and we – Took it in at Arrowhead Pride, let everybody know, and and it sort of has now, I think, spiraled into what it is. And I, I think underlying everything, it is a revamping of the Chiefs and Raiders rivalry 
that was dead. And this wouldn't have happened had the Raiders not upset the Chiefs. Like, that's the baseline of this. But they were very excited about it. This was the biggest win that they've had in quite a long time since they were good back in 2016. And now they're a team that's three games above 500, and the Chiefs have heard about it. And, yes, Andy Reid only said a few words, said that's not our style. But I think that's significant in the sense that Andy Reid does not like to go there. He does not like to go into these extracurricular, not having to do with the the on-the-field game type of scenarios and storylines. And for him to say that, that's a lot for Andy Reid. So you know that it's on the mind of the Chiefs. And Patrick Mahomes downplayed it. But you go to Travis Kelsey, who I saw that he was making the rounds this week as part of his Old Spice advertising partnership. And he actually said on Fox Sports 1, look, if that's what they want to do, this was – their Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, there it is. Speak for yourself. Um, a lot of people care about this game, uh, like it, like it is their Super Bowl. Uh, I'm <laughs> not going to say that's how they care. That's how they acted by doing two laps around the stadium when they wanted. <laughs> you can the say city. it, but you can say. I just think. I think personally, I, I, I take. I take pride in, in 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 every single division game that we play, knowing that uh, the fans. You know, it, it's everything to get those division wins. And on top of that, it's the goal. It's the goal. It's the first step in getting into the playoffs, winning the division. So you got to get excited week in, week out. Uh, but especially in the division, you got to take care of business. No, no better time than uh, this week against the Raiders. Now, you made mention of it, that victory lap after the win against you guys. Uh, where does that land in your psyche in the locker room when you hear a team does a victory lap after they beat you? Uh, I mean, listen, if that's, what, if that's what you guys are doing, that's what you guys are doing. I'm just going to kind of – back on what Coach Reed said, and uh, uh, that ain't how we do it. Uh, we just go out there, we handle business on the road, and we, we walk away from the dub and giving everybody credit uh, and, and, and vice versa. You know what I mean? We have full respect for everybody. If they, they feel like they got to do uh, the victory lap, then, you know, go ahead and do your thing, man. We're just going to go out here and handle our business and try and play football to our best ability um, this week. Expect some kind of action or uh, end zone. By the way, Derek Carr just said this just a few minutes ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, with rivalries, I'm sure there's a hundred stories out there that none of them are true, you know. Uh, and then some of them are for, like, weird reasons or someone gets mad at something. That's why I don't like texting. I like to FaceTime so I can really gauge what really happened, you know. Uh, sometimes you can read through some stuff. But if that's what if that's what they want to get all excited about, awesome. Like, if they did it to us, awesome. Like, I, I'm, I'm still going to work my tail off. I'm still going to go. You know, to watch my film, I'm still going to show up for the game just like I always do, ready to play. Like, you know, I don't, I don't need anything at it. They, shoot, I've had people say crazier things about me than driving a bus around a stadium, and you still yeah. just show up and play the game. You know what I mean? So, if they want to get excited about it, awesome. They can, they can get excited about it, man. I'm just going to keep doing my process and play for it. And if I'm a Chiefs fan and hearing that, I'm like, of course we know, Derek Carr, that you've heard people say some crazy things about you because you block everybody on Twitter. You don't, you you don't hear brother. any of the, the, the noise. And so, I, why do it? If you're the Raiders, you finally got the game, you played a good game, you caught the Chiefs at their place, why even do anything why like poke that? poke the stick it, at the bear? It makes no sense. This is a team that from November 10 to November 10 has lost one game, and it was to you. You don't think they're already fired up enough. And, yes, we have seen, and the answer like your last question, yes, we have seen Patrick Mahomes go to Chicago, count to his fingers up to 10 because the Bears drafted Mitch Trubisky 
first, and and Patrick Mahomes didn't go to 10th. We've seen him against the Ravens outplay Lamar Jackson multiple times and count to his fingers for. Yes, I think there'll be something subtle. Yes, I don't think they'll talk about it after the game, but we'll know that it matters to the Kansas City Chiefs. They'll be doing driving the bus at some point during that game. and I If we wait. have a good show tonight, Jay, I'll take you for a lap around the station. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm 100% for that. You're listening to Arrowhead Pride Radio right here on 610 Sports Radio. When we come back, we'll talk to ArrowheadPride.com's very own Matt Lane at Chief in Carolina. He'll be filling in for Kent Swanson tonight about the offense for the Chiefs or defense. Matty could do it all. Might talk offensive line with him as well. Matt Lane next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio. I'm Jay Binkley, along with the editor-in-chief, ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, Nick Price, producing the operation. Time to take a look at the Chiefs offense, and we'll talk about the Chiefs offensive line. Matt Lane, at Chief in Carolina, on Twitter, also part of that uh, draft guide, does such a nice job for ArrowheadPride.com and, well, front of the show, because I have him on my night show all the time. What's up, Matty? Oh, how you doing, JB? It's nice to be uh, called up to the big leagues. I got big shoes to fill with uh, Tim Swanson not here tonight. Well, you were already in the big leagues last night, my friend. <laughs> Kent Kent decided that he wanted the, the night off. He said, let my underlings handle this. I think that was his quote. And that sounds very Kent of him. Yes. I think he was probably having a rough hair day. They didn't want to mess up with that. <laughs> Could have shaved it like Justin Herbert. Uh, I will say this. Matt, what do you think of this offensive line? We don't 100% know. We can, we can, I mean, there's, there's no knowns in this world. Contact tracing, when you tell, will Fisher come off of it? Schwartz, we didn't think he was going to play anyway with the back. He's on the list. Martinez Rankin would clearly be in there. What would be your, what's, what, what just take for instance, those guys don't play. Schwartz doesn't play, Fisher doesn't play, and Martinez Rankin. What is your ideal offensive line? That, that's going to be a rough one because this team doesn't have much depth at offensive tackle. So losing both, not being able to have both of them out there would really hurt. I think you would keep, at least I would keep Mike Rimmers at right tackle. He's played a little bit better than expected, although you can't wait for Mitchell Schwartz to get back. So you keep Rimmers at right tackle. And He's even banged up, by the way. Limited practice for him today. Oh. Yeah, I think you're going to have to go with it, though. And then at center, I hope there's a return to Daniel Kilgore. I just think he was playing a little bit better than what we saw out of Aston Ryder. Left guard. I mean, you're going to stick with the same that left tackle. You're going to get Yasir Durant. I think you'll have him play on the opposite side of Allegretti there at left guard. I would like to see Yasir Durant play more. I thought he played pretty good in his limited reps the last time the Chiefs were on the field. I would just I would move him over into left tackle instead of making Rimmer switch sides. So, okay, wait a second. Where would you put Wiley? Do you keep him right he's guard? He's right guard. Okay, yeah, he stays the right, right guard, guard, but he, he, you know, he does have that tackle, tackle flexibility. Would Andrew Wiley be a guy you would consider for left tackle or no? I would. I, I'd give it some thought. I would just my thought process is you see Durant was put into the game when yeah. Mike Rivers went down to play right tackle. They didn't shuffle Wiley out immediately and try to fill the guard spot. I know during camp you see Durant played a little bit guard and tackle. I do recall he did play a little bit of left tackle. So with the bye week, they can figure this out a lot better than they can mid-game. But just going off what they did last time, I think Durant would be the next offensive tackle if Rimmer's already is occupied and you need two of them. Interesting points there from you. I, I wonder if right tackle Mitch Schwartz is even ready, COVID list or not. It did seem like his back was still hurting him when Andy Reid talked today. 
he mentioned Schwartz wouldn't be practicing because of the back. So I think if the Chiefs are getting someone back, it'll probably be Fisher. We will see. We know that the Raiders have a lot of issues right now with the COVID-19 list. Jonathan Abram, Malik Collins, Jonathan Hankins, um, Corey Littleton, Trent Brown. And then on the other side, you have the Chiefs getting Sammy Watkins back. He tweeted a little bit earlier that he's back, meaning he'll make his return on Sunday Night Football. When you look at those two sides, what what will it mean for the Kansas City Chiefs? Getting Sammy Watkins back is going to be huge for the Chiefs. I think he's a guy that has struggled with his health throughout his career, but especially with the Chiefs, he struggled with consistency even when he is healthy. But you've seen it for the playoff runs or some of the big games. When yeah. you get Sammy Watkins who's feeling good, ready to play, he's as talented as any wide receiver in the NFL. But Las Vegas secondary isn't the best. They're really young. They can be taken advantage of. So just getting Watkins back, getting that extra safety blanket for Patrick Mahomes and not just another speedy vertical threat like Watkins, that's going to make a world of difference for some of the issues that we had seen as the offense stalled out recently. How do you think it affects him? Cleveland Farrell, he's on the COVID list. We know he's not playing. Corey right. Littleton is their starting linebacker, not playing. LaMarcus joining their top slot corner. We don't know. Close contact. How do you think this kind of changes up what the Raiders do? Is Cleveland Farrell was a beast uh, against the Chiefs with nine quarterback pressures, three times more than he's ever had in any other game against the Chiefs. But those starters right now, we don't know about the others. Jonathan Abrams on the close contact list. Obviously, Jeff Heath can fill in that role for Abrams. He's not the same player, but he was NFC or excuse me, AFC Defensive Player of the Week last week. But what kind of a difference with that little John and Cleveland Farrell and if LaMarcus Joyner is not able to go? Well, and I think also, if I'm not mistaken, Arden Key's on the close contact list as well. He is. He's the guy that would be filling in for Cleveland Farrell. So, I mean, it could get really bad for the Raiders just with the entire guys missing, the depth that would be affected along the defensive line. So going back to the Chiefs' offensive line, this might be kind of a battle with two units that are facing against each other with <laughs> less than full strength. Cleveland Farrell, like you said, his best game of his career came against the Chiefs the first time. I actually think Arden Key's been playing a little bit better than him lately. So if he's able to go and Cleveland Farrell can't, that might make them a little bit better just by forcing them to play key more. But either way, but that Raiders defensive line isn't the best. So if they're missing some depth there, that could come to advantage for the Chiefs offensive line, even if they're not at full strength and loose. Arden Key, man, is he finally becoming that beast for the Raiders? I always liked him in college. This was a guy that had 24 and a half sacks in three years. He just, that just hadn't translated with the, the Raiders, but he is putting pressure on the quarterback. Like you watch him at LSU, and he looks like this prototypical stand-up pass rusher only. Not a great run defender, but then he comes out and he tests very unathletically, and you're just kind of waiting for him to put it all together at the next level because he's got a good frame, he's a little light, and it finally looks like it's clicking a little bit for him. I know there were character concerns, so maybe Gruden's found a way to motivate him. But he looks good. He looks really good as a pass rusher. I do think you can run on him, so having... Bill Farrell, but having to replace that with Arden Keith, that is a position or an area that she could be able to attack. Speaking of the run game, I know there had been some rumblings among Kansas City media members as to the balance of the Chiefs' offense. It seems like some games it's a little bit more run-heavy. Other games it would be the passing attack. Do you see Clyde Edwards-Elair and Le'Veon Bell being just as much of an attack in the second half of the year as Patrick Mahomes in this passing offense? Depends on how teams play it. I think so far the Chiefs have gone out and when teams want to play super wide in the box, when they want to put white personnel on the field, 
they're more than willing to hand it off a lot. We've seen that against the Texans or the Bills. They'd obviously prefer to drop back and throw it. If you're going to play relatively neutral against the Chiefs, they would put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands more often than not. But I do think they got Clyde Erdelaire. They went out and signed Le'Veon Bell for a reason. They want some running backs to be healthy down the stretch. They want these guys to not have a ton of wear and tear on their bodies and be ready to go and help out the team if they need to. Matt, filling in for Kent, we talk a lot of offense, but I want to switch to defense for one second. Tomorrow morning on Arrowhead Pride, we'll be posting your article about Frank Clark and his season. Uh, You can look forward to that again tomorrow morning. But based upon your looks in general, what have you seen from Frank Clark? Why the struggles this year? Yeah, it's interesting. Frank Clark, before he came to the Chiefs, was more of a power rusher. He's got to have, he has really good hand technique, has a lot of power in his hands. So that's how he won the scout a ton. And then last year, the Chiefs, he was battling injuries, but he became a little bit more of a speed rusher, more of a finesse guy until the playoffs. He felt healthier and it started clicking. That's what it looked like to start this year. He looked a little bit more explosive. There was still a lot of speed rush stuff, but his counters using his hands, the power were all still there. As the seasons wore on, it's just been a lot of speed rushes. He's trying to get around the edge every single time. He's trying to bend the edge. He's not using his long arm. He's not using his bull rush. Near as effective as he has been in the past, and I think it's affecting him right now. Offensive tackles are realizing that. They're seeing it on film that he's just trying to get up the arch as often as he can, and it really hurt the Chiefs so far. I do think part of it is not having another guy across from him there's nobody else to help push the quarterback his way. It's him and Chris Jones. That's about it. Right. I think getting some extra help from Okafor, if he comes back, could help. But if not, he's just got to feel better. He's got to get back to his true self and using that power a little bit better than he has. Great stuff. Great stuff by Matt Lane. At Chief in Carolina on Twitter. Big part of the ArrowheadPride.com team and part of that draft guide as well. Thanks a lot, Matty. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. There you go. Great stuff there from Matt Lane. Don't forget our text number, 913-576-7610. If you have a question uh, for myself or Pete Sweeney, uh, we'll address those at the end of the show. But coming up next, some DeAndre Baker breakdown from the one and only Arrowhead Pride defensive film analyst, Craig Stout, next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley and the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney. We just talked to Matt Lane, part of ArrowheadPride.com. Time to look at the Chiefs' defense as we do each and every week with Arrowhead Pride's defensive film analyst, Craig Stout, at Barley Hop on Twitter. Craig, what'd you think of last night? I needed you on the bat signal last night. DeAndre Baker, going to be coming a Kansas City Chief. It's not official yet, but... You know, they talked about it and they, you know, addressed it, but he will be at this point. But Chiefs get a first round corner from last year. Yeah, you can't hate the depth. I mean, especially when they're able to stash him on the practice squad with the COVID rules the way that they are. And if he's active by the end of the year here, they can probably keep him as a restricted free agent for the next couple of years. You really can't hate adding to the room that way. I have a couple questions about his fit. But we'll get to see that before the end of the year. We'll see how Spags chooses to deploy him, but you can't hate adding a former first-round pick. Craig, when you went into the draft last year, I know you guys do this together, but maybe you had your own opinions. What was your round grade on him, and and why did you feel that way before he played for the New York Giants? I I had a third-round grade on DeAndre Baker, which may sound a little bit low, but just to keep it in perspective, we had maybe – 
14 first-round grades last year. He was firmly in our top 50 draft prospects. I figured he was going to go early round two to mid-round two. He was a guy that when we were talking about, you know, the Chiefs not having that first round draft pick late in the, you know, late in the process with Frank Clark's trade, he was a guy that I was targeting there to try and get and add to the room in the second round. I was going to be fine with him. I thought that he was more of a press man guy. He he doesn't have great long speed. He doesn't have great length. Those are two things we know Spagnolo loves, but he does have great ball skills and he's very physical which Spagnuolo also loves. So he is a fit. It's just going to be a question of whether or not they're going to play him in the slot or on the boundary. And that's the thing with me. I had DeAndre Baker mocked early to the Chiefs before they they got Frank Clark. The Giants clearly saw value in him. They gave up pick 37, a fourth-round pick, and a fifth-round pick to slide back into the first round to get DeAndre Baker. This guy was a track runner in high school, but the 4-5-40 at the Combine, like he said, you know, players able to go over the top of him, but he was physical, an incredibly physical mm-hmm. corner at Georgia. That did not translate to the Giants last year. And I don't know if it was the coaching staff, that place was a disaster, it was a dumpster fire. They did not coach him up, I guess, to the point because the guy we saw last year was not the guy that won the Thorpe Award. Yes, that's definitely the case. And, yeah, it's hard to really look at that coaching staff and think that he got the best possible coaching that he could coming into the league, certainly coming from a Kirby Smart defense, a very good defense at Georgia there. He's going to get the best coaching that he can get. We've seen what Sam Madison has done with guys that don't have necessarily the same height as a guy like DeAndre Baker has. But the part of it that if you listen to Andy Reid's presser today when he was asked about the things that he needs to do to really kind of get better, Andy made sure to say he's got to come in, he's got to have a good work ethic, and he's got to keep his nose clean before the draft even. And we're not just talking about this last summer, this offseason, and all the hoopla around him. Before the draft, we had heard that he had interviewed poorly, that his work ethic was not great. And so he went to New York. Obviously, that didn't translate. They didn't. They moved on from him really quickly with all the allegations around him. Didn't wait to see that out. So there, there's a small question about what he's going to do. But again, this coaching staff, this locker room, they're going to get the most out of him. If he, if it doesn't translate, it's probably on him. Let's turn the page here to guys that we know will be playing on Sunday night football this week, Bashad Breeland, Trivarius Ward, and I'm expecting Legarius Sneed to return to the lineup. Remains to be seen. He has not been activated yet as of this recording and this show, but if Sneed returns, just how big is that for the Chiefs in the second half, Craig? Oh, it's massive. It's a guy that they can put on a little bit of an island knowing that they've got the length, the speed, the ball skills, those things we just talked about. On the boundary, we saw what the Chiefs' defense looked like those first three weeks. And the Chiefs' pass defense has not been bad since Legereus Sneed has been out. But it was terrific those first three weeks. He was a revelation stepping in, and he was arguably the Chiefs' best corner through the first three games. Now you've got Bashad Breeland back in the mix. Now you can maybe add Legereus Sneed in. They have the luxury of easing some of these guys in. But Bashad Breeland, Traverius Ward are physical corners. They're not necessarily fast corners. Right. Legereus Need can maybe match up against Henry Ruggs, a guy that is a blazing fast guy that beat the Chiefs up the first time that they met. 
But Jerry Sneed is a guy that maybe can take him away a little bit, a little better than some of the other Chiefs corners on the roster. Craig, I listened to Derek Carr's uh, press conference a little bit earlier. He was talking about you expect to mass, match the aggressiveness of the Chiefs. You're going to push the ball down in a round like you did on the Chiefs. Now, I will say this. Since that game, they got the doors blown off of him against the Buccaneers. He throws for 284. He had to because of the deficit. But then we're looking at 111 yards, 165 and 154. And that 111 was against Cleveland uh, where they did struggle offensively, even though they get a 16-6 to win. The bottom line is he hasn't even sniffed 200 yards passing in his last three games. Which Raiders, and they've ran for the ball. Josh Jacobs has two 100-yard games in his last four since that Chiefs game. Which Derek Carr are you expecting to see? Kind of what he's been doing as of late? Because that Chiefs game was an anomaly for uh, going downfield for Derek Carr. You're trying to get me triggered here, Bink. You're trying to get me going <laughs> on Derek Carr. Yes. Derek Carr cannot throw the ball down the field. I know that we watched him do it. I know that we saw him. The Chiefs basically said, you beat us with the vertical passing game, and they did with Henry Ruggs. I do not expect that success to continue. I think the Chiefs' pass rush is going to be significantly better than it was in that first matchup. That's going to rattle Derek Carr, and he's going to turn into the pumpkin that we wow. all know him to be, that he has been his entire career against the Chiefs. I do not expect that Spagnuolo is going to allow what happened in that first matchup to happen again, and certainly those players are going to be more up for this game. They listen the the bus thing. They're going to tell you, you know, ah, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal, it's no big deal. The but Andy Reid is out there talking about it. It's right. a big deal to the players in that locker room. So I believe they're using that as fuel motivation. I don't see any way that this defense doesn't come out flying, and that is bad news for Derek Carr. I tend to think that you're correct. You only see Derek Carr play like this every once in a while. It does happen where he seems to get a little bit of confidence and throw that, the ball down the field. The players that I see legitimate on the Raiders' offense are the running backs. The running backs have looked really good, and Jacobs and Booker. How much of a problem do you anticipate that being for the Chiefs on Sunday night? Oh, it's going to be a huge problem. Josh Jacobs is a probably a top five running back in the league already. I think he's a fantastic running back, and Devontae Booker is one of the more underrated guys. Like I, I know some Broncos guys that were very sad to see him go, and you look at what their roster looks like in that running back room. So he's a guy that really kind of beat up on the Chiefs. He's a little bit explosive, but Josh Jacobs is just so hard to bring down yeah. and he's so dynamic. It's not a it's not a Derrick Henry thing where he's just going to run over you. He's also a very dynamic, explosive player as well. He is where the offense should go through if you're Oakland, because he is their best offensive weapon at this point. And that's saying something. They've got some good offensive weapons, but I do expect that he may be a problem. But again, you're going to see a more amplified defensive performance. Anthony Hitchens has been playing significantly better than he had the last time these two teams played, and that defensive line was really poor against Oakland. I expect it to be better. I think they'll be able to bobble him up enough early, and we know that the Chiefs offense is going to score. Do you think the defense has been better against the run? Because I look in the last four weeks, the quarter of the season trend, three of the last four weeks they've only allowed 104 yards. Only the or fewer. They only have one. Broncos busted out for 144. But in that in that stretch, three of the four games, they limited teams to 104 yards or less. I I do. I think that they they have been performing 
a little bit better. And that Broncos game was one where, you know, it was over, basically. That game was not particularly close, and the Broncos were still running the ball. So I, I think that that was a little bit of an anomaly. We do see a little bit better performance as the year has gone along from Spagnolo's group here. It's still not good. I'm not going to say that it is good, but I think you're starting to see Willie Gay make a couple more plays because he's on the field in the base defense. You're starting to see a better performance from Anthony Hitchens. Damian Wilson's flying around a little bit better. And since they've got Mike Pinnell back, they've used a lot of those Derek Noddy and Mike Pinnell looks in the middle of the defense. It's been the defensive end opposite of Frank Clark. that has been a little bit of the sieve over there that's allowed a little bit of extra yardage. If that can kind of shore up a little bit, if Tano Pasigno can play a little better, or Alex Okafor can get in the mix a little more here coming back off of IR, Mike Dana in the mix, I think that they've got the horses to shore that position up and funnel everything back inside. I think it can improve. I do think that the next four weeks are going to be a big test in the passing and the rushing game. I think there are a lot of good teams that way. So we'll really have to see. But I I do think that it's getting a little bit better. That's Craig Stout at Barley Hop on Twitter, part of ArrowheadPride.com. Real quick, quiz for you. What is Derek Carr's record when it's less than 50 degrees? Oh, I believe he's not one at all, Bank. Oh, he's 0-10. <laughs> Again, but he played indoors versus the Chiefs. But anyway, thanks a lot, Craig. That's that's not yeah, good. Thanks. Football is typically a sport that you play in the cold, that brisk weather. They thing. play in their nice little dome stadium, but eventually they're going to have to go outdoors in the playoffs. I mean, again, outside. I Jack mean, Rio was always critical of him. You used to do the Friday Night Lights. I mean, you yeah. like that cold weather. I like the you cold button heat. up. Yeah. That's football. That's football. Not this California stuff. We'll come back. 913-576-7610 if you have a question for myself or Pete Sweeney. I've got a question for him. I have his question to Andy (laughs) Reid earlier today. We do that next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley, Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief, Arrowhead Pride Dot com. I heard your question to, I always hear your questions, Pete. They're good questions. We've talked about this. Thank where you. you're, they're mostly good. Some of them aren't as great, yeah. but uh, you have your days. Right. And uh, yeah, your Pete's question to Andy Reid about Travis Kelsey. I thought, was, uh, I thought Andy Reid's response was pretty interesting. Hmm. Coach, I know that the bye week allows you to do a little bit of self-evaluation. Uh, Travis Kelsey has even a little bit more of a production than he than he usually has. Is there something you could pinpoint that has led to like this slight uptick <clears throat> in performance this season? Yeah, I I don't know that. Um, and it is slight, but he he's done a listen. He's done a nice job. He works hard. He's got a great relationship with the quarterback. Sammy's been out for a few weeks, so you know the, both he and Ten have had more production, and and so. Um, you know, we like spreading around to everybody and give everybody an opportunity, but um, I, that could have probably worked with the increased part of it. Uh, Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins is that guy that I've right. always said, that tough guy that will go into the middle. He will do the things that some receivers won't. And Travis Kelsey, not only do we see him do the Anthony Sherman role, is the H-back in the offense with blocking, but also some of those tougher. He always makes those tougher intermediate catches, but maybe a few more without Watkins there. But still, we're talking over 18 Catches in 259 yards in the last two weeks. That's insane. Yeah, it's intriguing to me. And what I find most fascinating about this is I I truly believe that Patrick Mahomes is going to win the Most Valuable Player Award again. I really do. He's the favorite now. He's surpassed Russ Wilson, even though he was off this past week. His 
Russell Wilson. Ten turnovers in the last four games for Big Russ. And I, I anticipate you're going to see more of the Seattle Seahawks running the football moving forward. You know, that's some of the rumblings that are coming out of Seattle. And so I, I really do think that Patrick Mahomes is going to win this MVP award again. And that's going to include Travis Kelsey quite a bit. And I understand Sammy Watkins is going to be injected into this lineup. But Sammy Watkins has big games once in a while. I mean, we saw a little bit more frequently in the playoffs last year, which is what you want. But I think the production is still going to be there for Travis Kelsey. And if he keeps at this pace and can somehow get in the mix for top receiving yards in the league and he leads the league in first downs and let's say we throw on three or four or five more touchdowns, I'm telling you, there is an outside chance that this guy wins Offensive Player of the Year. And I think that that would just be really special. He is going to have to continue his torrid pace. He is going to have to maybe even raise it slightly a little bit, but for a tight end to potentially lead the league in yards, I mean, that would be really special for me in Kansas City. It was fourth last year, the entire NFL in yards. He's at second in the AFC in yards this year. Phil Gates had some interesting stats on him. More than 1,600 more yards than any other tight end since 2016. 46 more catches than the closest. 76.4 yards per game. 9.3 better than anyone else since right. 2016. Uh, sixth in receiving yard and second in the AFC. Diggs has played one more game, and that's why he's like 137 yards uh, above Travis. He was like 40-something uh, before the bye week. He's redefining the position. You know, I, I keep hearing this, you know, Hall of Fame. He, Travis Kelsey's first ballot. He has redefined the position. He's a first ballot. Even though it's been redefined by, you know, your, your Tony Gonzalez and guys like this. He's got, at this point in his career, 104 games, he's got over 100, 100 more catches and like 2,800 more yards than Tony G ever did. we got a few minutes left. 913-576-7610. Send your questions in. But, Bink, I agree with you. I think that by the end of it, he may even surpass Tony, which is just incredible to say. I talked about this the other day in one of the hits I was doing, and I just I can't believe that someone was able to have to live up to what Tony Gonzalez was for his position and now is in a position as he has now over the hill of 30 years old, he's 31, having the best season so far of his career through nine games and may even surpass what Tony meant to this franchise and this this city. I think it helps that there was that little weird thing with Atlanta too. I think Travis Kelsey's going to go down as one of the most beloved players in franchise history and certainly the most beloved tight end in uh, franchise history when it's all said and done. Here's a question for you, Pete, from the text line from the 816. Who cares if a stupid bus drives around the stadium? <laughs> this is just petty. Yeah, but when players mention it, on both sides, and right. the Chiefs were the ones jolted by it. Um, hey, they're going to use it as as ammunition. And silly or not, players remember stuff. Yeah, and I'm telling you, for Reed to mention it, Reed mentioning anything about it and not just doesn't matter. And mentioning it twice. We're playing our division game, I, I think, stands out. And I know for a fact, too, don't forget, I, a couple of years back, I worked at the organization. They have these hype-up videos yep. uh, before the night of the game just to get them a little bit more juiced, and there's a little bit of extra added in, uh, um, motivation. Players and coaches will use anything for extra motivation, anything to spark their, more energy. Anything to spark their players. And so that is why I think you see on the other side, and maybe that's more where you could focus, where Andy Reid is so careful not to give the other teams extra motivation, especially playing teams where 
you're a little bit closer. There are the playoff teams where it could be a little bit more of a game of inches. And the Raiders did it in the other direction. And then you saw John Gruden trying to back out of it. Yes, it's stupid. Yes, it's a little bit trivial, but it matters. I think it's going to be a point of conversation in this football game. Uh, from being one six as well, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, correct that. When the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, <laughs> is it tainted because of COVID? The NFL should move to a bubble system so the best players are on the field, excluding injuries. Uh, nothing else is tainted. We're still going on. The, the uh, Dodgers are world champions. Lightnings are champions in the NHL. If anything, this year, you don't even put an asterisk on it. And if you did, you do it because today, this year has been more challenging than previous years. Yeah, I, I will go to the Dodgers and the Lightning and even the Los Angeles Lakers with the M- NBA draft tonight. Uh, it is seeming that it's more respected even. it's It's been a more difficult thing to do. And you know that LeBron James is counting that because he's chasing Michael Jordan uh, just like Patrick Mahomes is chasing Tom Brady. So these will count. There will be no asterisk with the COVID season. There will be no Asterisks whatsoever. What's coming up on ArrowheadPride.com this week, Pete? Yeah, I mentioned Matt Lane has a Frank Clark breakdown that's hitting the website tomorrow. We will keep you locked and loaded with all the information leading into Raiders Week. We're going to have to stay on this because there's all these players being added to the COVID list. So stay with us. Injury reports the rest of the week. You just need like a Raiders COVID list and you just keep adding stuff to it. Yeah, it's it's this scroll that I have in my pocket that goes down to my ankles. That's the Raiders COVID list right now. Thanks for everybody listening. We do Arrowhead Pride Radio on Wednesdays from 6 to 7 right here at 610 Sports KC. KSU Coaches Show comes up next. I'm back with Bacon Knight after that. Good night, everybody.